And so a prayer, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the book of Jonah, which though seems a strange story to us, has many truths to teach us. And now as we look at this final chapter of this journey of faith, we pray, Father, that you will speak to us and reveal it to us so that we may see what it means for us and for today. And we pray that as we listen to the spoken word and the written word, we may grow deeper into him who is the living word, into Jesus himself. And it is to that end we pray in his name. Amen. So Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. I expect the story could have ended with chapter 3. After all, that's the end of it really. God had called Jonah to go to, to Nineveh to preach to the people about their sinfulness. Having gone the other way first, the second time he, he relented and went and did what God asked him to do, he went and preached. Nineveh was saved. God relented from throwing his judgment upon them. And really that should be the end of the story. Why we suddenly get chapter 4 is quite interesting. Chapter 4 talks to us about God's love and how Jonah didn't understand it. It's a parable of God's love, a God's love which went right through the whole of the Bible, culminating in the death of Jesus on the cross. But having seen Nineveh turn to God and relent of their sins and God not sending the judgment upon them that he expected to, you would expect Jonah to be thrilled to bits, really chuffed. You expect him to dance and sing, teach me to dance like we did at the start. You would expect him to be really excited. Was he echoes like? It says Jonah was displeased and angry. Angry? Why angry? Angry because God should show compassion to a people who were the enemies of the Jewish nation. Angry because God's gentleness and graciousness and mercy was for the Jew, not for the Gentile. Jonah actually saw God's rescue of Nineveh as wrong. They were not the people of God. The fact that judgment had been averted was not good for Jonah. He want, it's the last thing he wanted. The prayer he prayed in the belly of the fish had included confession. He'd confessed his own sins. He said it was his fault for going overboard, his fault for disobeying God. Now he'd obeyed God. He'd done what God had asked. He'd gone to Nineveh. He'd preached. And the result had been what had been. But he didn't want that. I wonder what he really wanted when he set out for Nineveh, whether he really believed God could do what God said he wanted to do. But whatever, at the end of the day, Jonah was not happy, and so he ran away again. Concerned only for his own comfort, he made himself a shelter. He sat under it, and he waited to see what would happen to the city of Nineveh. An isolated and a bitter man. So God got to work. He prepared a plant. 
believed to be a castor oil plant which grows 12 feet high and has large leaves. And Jonah is grateful because it keeps him in the shade uh, and he is content again. Then God prepares a worm which comes and eats the plant and the plant withers and, dry and dies and Jonah is exposed again. Then came a hot scorching wind that blew off the Arabian desert and the heat of God's anger, the heat of Jonah's anger, was exposed again by the heat of the desert. All avenues of retreat were removed by God in the hope that he would have Jonah's undivided attention. And God asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And he said, yes, I do. Well, he didn't, of course. In, my, in the NIV version, he says, are you concerned about this vine? Of course, the vine was the symbol of the people of Israel. Are you concerned? Yes, I'm concerned about them, but I'm not happy about what you've done. His attitude, his perspective, his belief in a worthless plant that grew one day and died the next, showed distinct comparison to his lack of concern for the souls of the people in Nineveh or the eternal destiny of them. Jonah was mixing the greatness of God and his mercy and didn't understand that his love extends to all mankind. You've just sung as I have, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea there's a kindness in his justice which is more than liberty, for the love of God is broader than the measures of man's mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. So what lessons do we learn about Jonah? The first lesson is that Jonah's theology is not the same as God's. Jonah somehow seems to act, doesn't he, before he puts his brain in motion. Was he angry because he'd gone and preached destruction to Nineveh and it hadn't taken place? Was this a reflection on him that the people of Nineveh had repented and turned to God? I suspect we'll never know, but he didn't understand the nature and the graciousness of God. For he had a strongly based Jewish covenanted faith which says that God had chosen Israel to be his people. And Paul said that God had chosen us before the foundation of the world. And Jesus reiterates that when he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The strong Jewish theology based with what we know as election theology, that God chooses some but not others. So I'm a Christian, but my brother isn't. Not because I responded and he didn't, but because God chose me and he didn't choose him. Sorry, I don't go along with that. Yeah, that's what Jonah believed, that God had chosen the people of Israel as his own and this lot didn't matter. God's mercy and compassion was upon his people. That's why he brought them out of Egypt, why he led them through the wilderness, why he take them to the promised land, why he'd been their, their God and they'd been his people. But the love of God for Jonah did not extend beyond Israel into the outer world. 
Why should God love the people of Nineveh? Because God is God and loves everyone. And to Jonah, that was a step too far that he didn't understand. Yet Jonah's anger is all too common a fault and a feeling, isn't it? That sometimes we have the knowledge and the understanding and the experience of God's divine love for ourselves, but we want to restrict it. It's for us. And sometimes go further to say, but not for them. The sad thing is that sometimes we do have the attitude of Jonah. The prodigal son's brother had it. You would think, wouldn't you, when the prodigal son had gone away uh, and lived riotously in the far country and then decided to come back and his father had greeted him and been excited and the Bible says, and there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, you would expect the elder brother to be excited about that and instead he was angry because God dealt, or his father dealt with that man in the way that God deals with us all. You've never had a kid to celebrate me. I've been here looking after two jobs while he's been away. You've never done out for me. Why should you celebrate just because he's come home? He shouldn't have gone in the first place. And you can hear it, can't you? Moan, moan, moan. The same attitude as Jonah had. And I've been in chapels where people have talked about us and them about insiders and those outside. About people who've been inside for 20 years still being interlopers and not really one of us. Where new converts have been a threat rather than a joy to the rest of the congregation. Where one such event in one of my chapels had a lady saying to me, I've been here all my life and kept this church going don't I deserve greater rewards than him that's just come in and you've given him a job to do? Didn't I deserve to be asked first? And she forgot that that job had been vacant for 12 months and if she wanted to do it, she could have offered ages before. But you see, it was this Jonah attitude. Why should that love extend to him? Why should you ask him to do things instead of asking me? And sadly, within denominations or within churches, we differ differentiate between those who are ours and those who are not. Between those who are in and those who are out. Between those who were born here and those who have come in 20 years ago. Between those who have just come to Christ now and those who have been Christians for years. And somehow such theology that says God doesn't love everybody is so false that it's frightening. And it needs to be broken down in an understanding of God's love that God's love is for everyone. We read in John 3.16, God so loved the world. I wonder sometimes, I really do, if we believe that. God so loved the world. No, God didn't love the church. God didn't love Methodists. God didn't love us. God didn't love the insiders. God didn't love those who were born here. God loved the world. Therefore, we must love the world. The world, which includes interlopers 
and it's not so much in the town. You'll go into some of the country places and they say to me, he's not one of us, he's only been here 20 years, he's an interloper. And I say, yes, he is one of us. He's been born again like you have. We're Christians together. God loves us all. Yes, of course, he's one of us. Oh, no, 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 no. But the world, including interlopers, or those outside the church, or those whose lifestyles are very different to ours. Does God have a special love for Christians? That's an important question, which I would say an emphatic no to. The fact that you and I, if we are Christians, have responded to him and entered into a new relationship and know different blessings, yes, they're different. But does God love me more than someone who is not a Christian? And as I read the Bible, the answer to that is no. God so loves the world. So that's the first thing. Jonah then reflects a way of thinking which in, a, in, in, in fact is again failed and flawed. See, before he was tipped overboard into the sea, it seemed that Jonah had seen the errors of his ways. He'd come to a new understanding of God. When the call came a second time to go to Nineveh, he obeyed, indi indicating a new commitment. But sadly, this was the same old Jonah when things didn't work out. And so he went back to his early days. And Jonah was typical of men who find it easy to be a Christian when all is going well. We come then to Christ in a crisis. We pray, we ask for God's help. His faith is strong because he's in a storm and he's relying on God. But when the storm dies down and all becomes calm, then Jonah loses his faith. And it reminds me that though I'm his as a Christian, I need to remain close to him. Because it's as easy to lose my faith as it is to find it. It's easy to forget about him when life is going well. It's easy to know him when the storms are on, when I'm desperate, when I'm discouraged, when I need help. I go to him then and I'm very close to him. When it becomes calm and everything's well, then it's easy to slip away from him unless I remain close. And remaining close demands discipline and integrity. Jonah was fickle. He fluctuated between faith and putting himself first. If I have faith in God, I can't put me first. It has to be God first and me second. But then when all goes well, suddenly it's me first again. And that was Jonah's fault. And the writer points out, I'm sure, that many of us do the same. How often do my selfish thoughts and actions invade into my commitment so my commitment is not the same as it once was. How often am I not open to what God wants because I know what I want and that's more important? How many times have I said, I want that or I don't like that or I like doing it this way or as some have said in my, under my ministry, we've all us done it this way. We tried that 40 years ago and it didn't work so it'll not work now. Well, stay as we are, thank you. But that's putting me first. What do I want for the church? 
I want what God wants, frankly. And on Friday night we had a prayer meeting at Trinity where we were quiet for an hour. Can you imagine a dozen folk being quiet for a, a dozen Methodists being quiet for an hour? Listening to God. Because what we want for Trinity is not as important as what God wants for Trinity. And therefore we listen to God to hear what he was saying. And though we are Christians, we have to keep close to Jesus and to God to avoid slipping away. Because it's easy to let go of him when things are going well. And that was Jonah's problem. Things had gone too well. Now he was here under the cosh again and things had gone wrong. And they'd gone wrong because he got a false sense of self-importance. Lord, take away my life, he said. It's better for me to die than to live. Now, if I'd have been God, I'd said, yeah, you're right, get on with it. No, God didn't say that, of course not. But being full of self-pity uh, and saying it's better that I die were, reminded me of Elijah's words in 1 Kings 19. Why is he that important to God? He's seen a whole city, a whole nation turn back to God. Why should Jonah be important? Because Jonah has this delusion of self-importance, of grandeur. He felt he was more important than a city that had relented and turned to God. And he sees himself as a hero. Look, I've done this. God said, go to Nineveh and preach. I've gone and preached and Lord, they've turned to you. Look what I've done. Aren't I a clever chap? And I'm sure God smiled and said, no, not really. But then he is sad because we're not meant to take praise and honour for ourselves. It's what God does. It's God's work. We are privileged to be part of it. And believing that we are more important than God and that God is fortunate to have us in his service is such a delusion that it's frightening again. It's one of the most dangerous delusions we could possibly have. And in my younger years, it was a kinder, older Christian who pointed out to me that that was not so. A young Christian, a young local preacher, thinking he was doing great. Everybody said, we, you're doing great, son. We enjoy having you to preach. All this rubbish that they say, I said. And he said to me, Roger, sit down. I need to talk to you and in a lovely, kindly, elderly, Christian wisdom way. He said to me, it's about God, son. It's all about God. It's about what God can do through you, but it's about God. Don't listen to what people tell you about you. It's about God. Because it's not you that's important in God's service. It is God. It's God's work. We're privileged to share it. And if things do not turn out as we expect, then so what? If it's God's work, then God has to have his way. And if God works in a way that we don't expect or we don't want. One of my favourite verses is in Isaiah 43, when he says, look, don't dwell on the former things and dwell on the past. See what I'm doing now. I'm doing a new thing. And I like it, not for what it says so much, as what it doesn't say. God doesn't say, I'm doing a new thing, do you like it? God doesn't say, I'm doing a new thing, do you want it? 
God doesn't say, I'm moving you on. Are you going to go with me? Or are you going to turn back because it's not what you want? God says, I'm doing this new thing. Do you see it? Are you with me? Are you in step with me? Are you dancing with me if you want the first hymn? And so, where does that leave us? Begins, doesn't it, by us making a commitment to follow Jesus. I've known people in churches that I've been minister of who have been in church all their life and never ever made a commitment. One lady at 82 came to Christ when we were doing Alpha on the night that we did Why Did Jesus Die? She became a Christian for the first time. And on the Sunday, her face was radiant when she came to church and she said to me, Roger, why haven't I done this years before? And I had to say, well, I don't know. How many times has she sat on a Good Friday and heard that one topic, why did Jesus die? Yet she never responded. She never made a commitment. She'd been a churchgoer for 82 years. She'd had every office in the church, but she'd never actually given herself to Jesus. So it starts there. It starts with commitment. It starts with me giving myself to him. It starts with me letting him into my life uh, and letting him take control. But then it goes on. Because then I've got to be open to his spirit. I've got to be open to his promptings. I've got to listen to what God wants for my life and for my ministry and for my life of service. I've got to be open to the movement of his spirit because God will do things that I haven't dreamt about. And I have to stay close to Jesus because I know how easy it is to slip away when things are going well. When I'm in trouble, when I've gone through a difficult time as I have in the last few months through moving house, through the death of my nephew and various other things, I know I'm hanging on to God because I need him so much. But now the sun's shining, things have moved on, life is a little easier, so do I let him go? Yes, I could do very easily. There's a World Cup, there's Wimbledon tomorrow, there's test matches coming up, there's football season starting soon. Who needs God? And I have to say to you, I do. Yes, I do. I couldn't get through without him. So I have to stay close to him because I know it would be easy to slip away, but I can't afford to. And so by, pre by prayer and by reading his word and by listening to his voice and by just spending time in his company, I need to stay close to God. And then he challenges my conception of his love and says to me, do you love those that it's not easy to like? God didn't just say to you, love one another. He didn't just say to you, love your neighbour. He said to you, love your enemies. So do you love your enemies? Roger, do you love those people you find it difficult to get on with? Do you love the troublesome neighbour? Do you love the big family with the kids running around at night when they should be in bed? Do you love the alcoholic? Do you love those that pour out the nightclub on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning in the early hours when you are already in bed? Do you love the ones whose lifestyle is totally different to you or who swear a lot? I, I, I just was fiddling with the knobs on the diff different um, stations on the television last night because the World Cup had finished and I was just 
going through and I listen to three comedians and I switched them all off within 10 seconds because each one had used the F word at least three times. Do I love them? Because they use words that I don't. And you see, God challenges me and I think he challenges us as Christians. Do you love people with God's love? Do you love people you don't find it easy to love? It's easy to love people who love you back. Do you love them that don't? And I can put people into my scenario, but put people into yours. Who do you find difficult to love? And God says, but do you love them? Because he does. If God loves the whole world, then he loves them as well. And the final thing he says to me is, do you think you're important, Roger? You've had the privilege of being a minister for over 30 years. You've been a local preacher for many more years than that. You go out to preach and people say nice things at the end of it. Does that make you feel good? Does it make you feel important? Are you an important person? Are you simply like everybody else, a sinner saved by grace? If I'm important, that puts me in the centre. If I'm a sinner saved by grace, it puts him in the centre. And my emphasis on Jesus and my life is lived to make Jesus known. That's all I want. Is that what you want? And though I often make a hash of it, and though I, I let prejudices come in and I don't love people like I should, and because I think things about people that I shouldn't, and because all sorts of things get in the way, God knows all that. But for me, the story of Jonah is a challenge to my faith, to my openness to God and his spirit, to the way I treat people, to the way I love them, to the people I select to love to the fact that I am called to serve and love everyone because God does. And is any of that possible? Yes, but only because it began by my coming to Jesus and giving him my life many years ago. And for me, faith doesn't depend on me on my circumstances or on my mood swings. They tell me as a Torian I will have some mood swings and though I don't believe in all that lot, that is actually true. But it doesn't depend on my mood swings. It depends on my love for God. It depends on my closeness to Jesus. It depends upon my openness to his spirit. And it depends upon the fact that I'm privilege to be his and share his ministry in the world and it began by coming to Jesus and it will end by my going to Jesus when heaven beckons so prayer let's pray father God you know each one of us you know the many times we let you down you know that sometimes we say we are yours, but really we want to have the adulation of others. We want others to think how wonderful we are. And it's not about that, is it, Lord? It's about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus, be the centre. 
It's about you, not about me or about us. It is about us being called to serve you and to follow you. It is about us loving other people. It is about us reaching out in love to those who are unlovely and unloved. It is about you using us to reach out to bring people to Jesus. But then ultimately, it's about you and our faith in you. So teach us not to be like Jonah who was angry because you did what you wanted to do. Help us to rejoice when you surprise us with things that you do in our lives and in our church. Teach us to want to dance at the sound of your name. Teach us to know that Jesus is with us. Teach us to feel good, not because of what we've done, but because God is working out his purposes in his world. Teach us, Lord, that Jesus can do impossible things. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Do I really believe that when I look at the state of the world? Do I really believe that when I look at people's lives? Do I really believe that when I look in the mirror on a morning? Yep, all things are possible, even our salvation. So, Father, now as we commit ourselves afresh to you, we pray that you will deepen our faith and our understanding, deepen our love for others, and let our hearts burn with our love for Jesus as we step out in faith to do your will. And we come to you now just as we are, knowing that you will accept us again to be yours in your service. For we ask our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen.